Bubble presents the No Code Hustle, where we speak with founders, builders, and makers who are building the next generation of tech products all without code. I'm your host, Eric Israni. My name is Marielle, and I'm your guest host for today's episode on the No Code Hustle. I'm an avid bubbler and entrepreneur, so it's my pleasure to introduce to you the founders of Bubble, Emmanuel and Josh. Nice to see you guys. Um, how's your day Hi. going? Hey. Good. Good. It's great Good. to be here. Yeah. <laughs> nice to have you. Thank you so much for uh, giving me the opportunity to ask you a bunch of questions. Um, you know, hopefully we'll get um, into the details, all the pressing questions all of our users are wondering. So, but let's kick it off um, with just hearing how you guys met. Where did you all meet? Um, when was that time uh, where you decided that you were going to start a company together? Yeah, so this was uh, back in 2012. Um, I actually remember exactly where we met for the first time. It was this booth in uh, the Think Coffee um, coffee shop near Union Square in, in Manhattan. Um, we had like chatted briefly on Skype um, a few weeks beforehand. I was looking for a co-founder for the company that became Bubble um, and a friend of ours put us in touch. Cool. And so we, we, and we, we actually like, as crazy as it is, because it's now eight years ago, like eight years and two weeks, um, we decided oh. to partner on our first meeting, actually. Uh, so Josh had explained to me a little bit the idea of a Skype, but we hadn't met in person. And I, so we talked for like a couple of hours, maybe a little bit more uh, at Think Coffee, and then we met the following day uh, to meet again. And then Josh asked me, do you want to join and try something? And I said, yes. Yeah. So that was like a very sudden rush decision. But you know, eight years later, here we are. So. So did well, you have like, I, oh, sorry, Josh, go ahead. <laughs> sure. Well, I sort of kind of had to because you had a, a job offer due the next day. So if I didn't make you a counter offer, you, right. you would have like <laughs> gone away. So because, because then that actually liked that job offer. <laughs> oh, oh, so it had to be really enticing. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, I was, I was taking it basically. Oh, okay, cool. So, um, so how did you, did you guys have a testing period? Um, how did that since you first met and you're starting a company together, there's so much involved um, from per different personalities to knowing someone's work ethic. How was that like? How did you guys test that? So, um, I mean, every day is a testing, right? <laughs> when you work yeah. and you can last for years, right? You can always leave. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like practically, like legally speaking, I guess, like we agreed on some kind of a vesting between us, like for the first three months. So. That's, I guess, what we would call the, right. the, the trial period or something. But then um, it's not like we celebrated the end of the three months or something, you know. Uh, like, I didn't feel like when we started. So I remember I said yes on a Friday, and then we started working to get, I went back to Boston to sell my furniture, and I came back on Monday. And so we started working on Monday. I never felt like I was being tested or something, you know. Just like, let's just stop working. It was just working, like, right? like YOLO, right? It was like, you Yeah, that was pretty smooth. Let's try this. <laughs> cool. That sounds fun. Um, and so... How did Josh explain the idea to you and um, why were you excited to start working on Bubble? Um, so the, the first time he explained the idea, actually the way he explained to me was I was kind of telling him a startup idea I had during business school that never happened. 
because I didn't find a technical talent, actually. I did find someone, but then she was in college and she decided to drop, and anyway, not, not college, the drop from the idea. Um, and so as I was describing the idea, Josh was like, well, that's exactly the kind of thing you could be building uh, on Bubble. At that time, it was not called Bubble. It was, uh, it had a name, but I'm not even sure Josh used that name uh, to describe Act it. Forest, I think, at Act the time. Yeah, but, yeah. I, but, but I don't I think like you mentioned better, that. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, um, that said, I have to say, maybe I was not listening well enough. When we met at Think Coffee, I did not necessarily understand how powerful this could get. Uh, and it's only maybe the following day, and maybe over the weekend, actually. So over the following day, it became more clear because then Josh showed me the prototype that he had, which didn't do much, but it already had the design tab and the workflow tab. So for the bubblers okay. that are listening, that will really speak to them, uh, which I actually think is one of the things we do that sets up a little bit differently from other tools. Um, and so when I saw the, the workflow tab, I mean, the design tab, it's not innovative, like any visual building platform has that. Uh, the workflow tab, when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's actually interesting. Uh, but I didn't necessarily understand how powerful it could get if done right at scale. And I actually remember having like a wow moment uh, on my bus ride, uh, like the Chinatown bus from Boston to New York after selling my stuff, where I was thinking, I was like, wait, actually, if, if it's well done, that could be actually really, really big. Uh, so it yeah. took me like maybe three days to get it. Uh, but that also is because Josh was bad at explaining it. It's more that I was slow that day. Well, it turns out you guys are right. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, just from an outsider's perspective, I've used <coughs> every no-code tool and absolutely, and that continues to be the most powerful feature of Bubble is the ability to the workflows, but also um, all the different plugins created by the community. Um, cool. So we'll get more in, in detail into that later. Um, but uh, so who were your first users? How did you um, put this in front of folks and uh, get their feedback and get people to use it? Yeah. So, I mean, we found our first users basically in person. We would go to um, events for aspiring entrepreneurs, people looking to network, usually people looking to like find technical co-founders because that was the audience we were pitching to. And we'd go up to them, like literally just, you know, introduce um, ourselves and say like, hey, you know, we can't be your technical co-founder, but we're building this new platform that will let you do it yourself. Want to give it a whirl? Yeah, I think doing things in person was very, very important. Uh, first of all, because it's almost too good to be true uh, at first when you explain that. Second of all, you basically, if you go for entrepreneurs, like you're telling them to bet their entire company on you. And so it's a big ask, you know, and I think having like a personal relationship with the first ones was actually important. And the third thing is, uh, and maybe one day we find some screenshots, but our first homepage was like really not pretty. The reason being, uh, and it's actually something we stuck to from the very beginning, is we, we've always been using Bubble to build our own uh, website. And not just the homepage, actually, uh, also like the account management uh, side of things, the marketplace and everything. And so at first, we were pretty limited by how pretty it could get because just the product was not good enough. And we've always decided, we've never felt, okay, let's just build our own, own homepage ourselves to get, you know, something pretty earlier than our users. We wanted to be in the same boat as our users. But so... Like, if you had seen our homepage without talking to us in 2012, I'm not sure you would have signed up. <laughs> yeah, so you had some really, really early adopters agreeing to uh, test out their ideas right. on Bubble. Cool. And so uh, I know you mentioned in-person. Um, what type of events did you all specific target? And really briefly, 
um, if you were in where we are now, the environment where we are now, where would you go um, to um, get people to use Bubble? So these were like tech co-founder meetups. Okay. So the kind of oh, okay. events where people are trying to find tech co-founders, but in practice, um, it's more like 10 business people for one engineer. So it's, it's like, it's a gold mine for, to find like bubble users basically. Um, and today, I mean, today I think, uh, like, you know, startup weekends, these kind of events still are very much relevant. Uh, like you, you still have a major, much larger proportion of non-technical people in those events versus technical people. And so when you see someone who's non-technical, but interested in tech, usually fairly knowledgeable about technology, you know, if you tell them about an APIs and what Stripe is and those mistakes, um, that's usually a perfect market for us. Cool. Yeah, that's good to know. Um, so Josh, do you want to add anything to, uh, to that and, and talking to users during this? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think the the biggest thing to emphasize for like other entrepreneurs is we got so many rejections from this, like, because we're offering something pretty crazy, right? Like build your whole startup on this, like, you know, shaky thing. So I would say, I don't know, for every one person who got far enough to like, even like, you know, tr contact us after the meetup and like stay in touch, we probably had to talk to like, you know, 10, 15, 20 people. Right. And then of those, like, you know, one person, I think, like, at the end of the day, like, initially, it was just down to, like, two people who, like, kept building long enough to, like, develop a long-term relationship with us, like, because everyone else would, like, try it and then, like, drift away. So it it it, it was a lot of um, people saying no or being disinterested to even get, like, a couple of customers. But the ones we did get were, like, really invested and really willing to work with us. And that keyword is being comfortable with rejection, right? And just <laughs> continuing yep. on and trying the next person and um, someone will ultimately, you know, say yes, right? And so yep. um, that's, that's awesome. And there's also, I can also imagine that there's still that, you know, really brief learning curve with Bubble that um, you need someone who's also really invested and tenacious that they're going to try their idea and they're, they have a set of features they want to build. So. Um, I'm sure that's still a play. Cool. And so um, I, you are all super famous on, at least in the no code community, it to be, you know, bootstrapped for a while. Um, why did you guys wait to get funding? And um, what did you guys first do after you got that funding? And what was that process like? I think there's like a couple of reasons. Um, the first reason was just that, um, I think we're both pretty like building oriented and product oriented people. So our natural inclination to like, you know, so some people like see a problem. This is not necessarily a bad instinct, but some people like see a problem and their reaction is, okay, let's put together capital. Let's put together talent. Let's like build a team around this. That's not kind of how we are. We're more like we see a problem. It's like, all right, I want to start building it, right? So like we dive very quickly into writing code and building the product and talking to customers. Um, and because of the nature of what we're building, it sort of had a business model baked in, like it was easy for us. It wasn't like, um, you know, you have to raise capital to, to get off the ground. Um, so that was like part of it. Like we just started that way. And then um, the other part was just like timelines, right? Like, you know, when you talk to um, venture capitalists, they're looking for 
you know, a trajectory where like in a couple of years you have your user curve shoot up. And that just would not have uh, worked for us because the first, you know, three, four years was really just product development. Um, there's just so much you have to do in the no-code space in particular to have a product that's like just even bare minimum usable. So if we hadn't put in that um, time and tried to like meet the timelines that venture capitalists wanted, I think we would have gone out of business. In fact, we actually saw that happen to right. another company or the company that was similar to us. And they're probably focusing on not the right thing if that was the, uh, you know, the trajectory, right? Um, really honing mm -hmm. in on what people wanted. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, yeah, sorry, and another another thing also is uh, when we started in 2012, you know, no code was not cool at all. In fact, at that <laughs> yeah. point, what was, what was like, cool was code. Something before early adopters, that's what you do. We're in the no code space, right? Whatever that is. Like no code be became a hot thing. I think like really last year maybe late 2018 but in, in 2012 what was cool is code academy investors were pouring money into all those coding boot camps so we could potentially have raised money but that would have taken it was an uphill battle and you know mm -hmm. we felt our time would be better spent just building a product that people would be using yeah we, we, we had a few conversations with investors just to like fill it out see you know see what our options were and most of the time like they would have they, they wouldn't really get why and what we were trying to do. Like, they're like, oh, that's a pretty slick piece of technology. Maybe you could use it to like solve this problem. And they weren't like seeing the like, no code as like a powerful like enablement tool, which is what we were trying to build. So it just felt like the, the funding market wasn't even like ready to like talk to us. Yeah, um, and so uh, what was the, so once you decided, okay, um, bubble is ready, this, what was the moment you realized it's working and then we're going to raise money, uh, for bubble. So what was, what was that like? Like the epiphany it's working, we're ready. I think it was a combination of, uh, two things. The first thing was, uh, the product became ready. So Josh mentioned, you know, that he would take time to get like the minimum, mini minimum viable product for something like bubble is pretty advanced and that take a long time to build. And so it's dangerous to raise money before you have that MVP because you're not going to be able to get too many users. And we felt that, uh, I think we had that realization around like mid 2018 that, okay, now we can do a lot of things. You know, it's not perfect, but you can do a ton of things on bubble. We could try to get as many users as possible. Before that, it felt a little bit like a waste of time, honestly, because people would be, we would try to get as many users as possible. They would ask, hey, can I do this? And we would have to say no. And so that was the one change we saw. And then the second one was um, probably also because the product got better, so the two are related. It's just that uh, the market became much more excited about tools like that. Like we had much more like inbound uh, attention from people. Like no code was not called no code at that point, but people started to look at it and be like, oh, there is something interesting there. And so we just felt that, okay, now is the time to actually be more aggressive. Cool. And um, when did you, so what, once you guys got that funding, what did you guys change? Like what was, uh, what, what did you decide to do with the funding? Did you hire more people? Um, did you invest more in the technology? What was that process like and prioritizing what to do next? It was really all about the team. Right. Like that, that was the, that was the driver for us because at the time we were running bubble with like a 10 person team, which just felt like tragically understaffed relative to like oh the gosh, complexity yeah. of the product and the community and everything. Um, so 
we just felt so limited by that. And, you know, just like hiring based on revenue, you know, we would have been able to add another person every like six months or something. Um, so the main thing fundraising was for was just to like allow us to grow our team. And now we're closer. We're almost at like 30 people now, right, Amanda? Yeah, I think we're 20, 29 on Monday. 29 oh, Monday, wow. yeah. Which is yes. still pretty small uh, compared to how many users you have. And well, yeah, but exactly a year ago, we were 14, so. Wow, incredible. It's, it's been a big growth, yeah. Yeah, and, and to be a little bit more specific, so yeah, it's been a lot about the team in the early months uh, after fundraising. Uh, focusing a lot on the team, engineering first success, uh, not being too aggressive in terms of growth at, uh, quite yet because we felt we wanted to get things really in a good place uh, in terms of engineering and success. And it's really a, toward the end of the year and early years this year that we started investing on growth. Cool. And then just briefly going back to, you mentioned this, uh, you said MVP was ready. Um, just for you know our audience, how did you define what MVP was ready meant. It's a complicated one. <laughs> it was complicated, but at a high level. <laughs> we, we could probably talk about this uh, for hours, honestly. I think there is an intuitive thing. Like at some point, we started with a product vision that we had very early on. In fact, the product actually hasn't changed too much over the last eight years. Like if you had shown us what we have today eight years ago, it'd be like, oh yeah, that's probably what we want to build. So we had in mind a set of features we wanted to have to cover. So that's more of like a, like almost like a personal decision. Then the second thing was, um, again, as I said, you know, when you people would reach out because still today, one of the most common questions we have from uh, to our success team is, you know, can I build this on bubble? Uh, the first four or five years, honestly, are painful because you're going to say no most of the time. And at some point we found ourselves saying no much less. And to me, that was like, okay, now we have, now we cover, you know, so based on market data, basically, uh, given what people ask us, now we cover most of the use cases. So I would say it's a combination of these two things, but it's more of an art than a science, to be honest. Yeah, cool. That's a that's a a cool way to to you know to visualize it. Um, and so how you talked a little bit about this, but can you elaborate how you've seen uh, the landscape evolve around Bubble and just the general industry? Um, now it's no code is a thing. Um, but any else, anything else that you'd want to add around the industry um, and where you see it headed? Uh, yeah, so in, so in 2012, it was all about code. Frameworks were starting to show up. So, you know, people were fighting, you know, Angular versus React, React Native. Like, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was unclear. So we were very much hidden. People thought we were more of a Squarespace type of thing that, that would put us in that uh, bucket. I think what happened uh, toward like, you know, 2017, 2018, 20, yeah, 2018, boot camps uh, started having bad press. Like people started saying, okay, you know, a lot of people do boot camps, but what can you do after this? You even had like a few scandal, actually scandals in New York with some companies uh, having issues with the government. So people started like looking a little bit more critically at um, learning how to code as a path to build things, not to become a software engineer. I mean, if you want to become a software engineer today, I'm hoping, you know, a couple of years from now that we change and, you know, just fine to that on bubble. But today, if you want to be a software engineer, uh, like uh, coding bootcamp makes sense. But for people that want to build things because they need to build something, whether it's for themselves at a company or for the company they work for, uh, people started realizing it was not necessarily working. And so, uh, and at the same time, the tools uh, got better. 
uh, Bubble being one of them, but some of other tools actually, like empowerment tools started becoming more of a thing. And the two effects combining led to what I think uh, became no code. Um, like you, you needed those two effects. Uh, if people were still convinced that code is a way to go, no matter how good the no-code tools would be, people would be learning how to code. So the two effects combined led to where we are today. So do you see in the future, um, just looking at the landscape and industry, do you see um, most companies using tools like Bubble um, to develop their applications? Um, how much uh, of the market, let's say the software market, do you see no-code tool, no tools in the future taking over? Yeah, so I would say, almost all of it. And I, that, that's a pretty bold claim. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, maybe, I, maybe I'm like preaching to, to the choir here, but- I know, we're like, we all agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny, everyone listening to this podcast agrees yeah, with so the statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I, I, I really think, um, and it's going to take time, like, I think there's, like, so many baked-in systems that, like, you know, I think this is, like, a 10, 15, maybe even 20-year process for, like, a complete transformation, but once you, like, start that ball rolling, like, people are just going to realize that getting things done doesn't mean coding. And the tools are just going to continue to get better, right? We're going to get better. All the other no-code tools are going to get better. Um, there's really no reason that um, that trend is going to reverse. Like, if you look at computing and programming in general, right, we went from the sort of the dawn of the computer age where everyone was doing super low-level stuff and learning assembly, and each progression on top of that has, like, made it more human-friendly, further away from the underlying hardware, more expressed in the language of what people are actually trying to accomplish. So in a sense, I don't see no code as a new thing. I see it as like sort of a continuation of this trend that started like, you know, the first day someone was like, okay, these like punch cards are super annoying. Can we like build like a better keyboard to like type stuff into a computer? So, so I think it's, it's just like the, the way technology tends to develop. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. I, I could almost say, like, I hope, like, you know, five or ten years from now, we don't talk about no code anymore. You know, mm -hmm. so it's just become yeah. the, the way people build things, mm -hmm. and it it doesn't matter. You know, um, right right now, it's still you have two schools, right? You know, the one that like code and the one that like no, no code. But I'm really hoping that, uh, and I think that, that Josh is mentioning 10, 15 years. That's to take you know the entire technology uh, world. But I'm hoping we'd get there sooner than that, actually. Yeah, yeah for new stuff, definitely. Yeah, I um, just from my perspective of what I see folks reaching out, I had just to give you the scope of where Bubble is reaching, I had someone uh, pretty much remote town in Brazil reach out to me because they wanted to teach Bubble to former inmates um, for them to That's be cool. able, yeah, <laughs> for them to be able to arm give themselves tools to make money uh, because they were teaching them, uh, you know, uh, I believe it was php um and they were having a little bit more of lag time to make money and then at some in our conversation the amazing thing is that there's that the time to you know to get that gratification to see something live is so much shorter and you can build something so um i also think for underrepresented founders 
uh, software engineering has um, been specifically um, segmented to certain groups. And uh, I think tools like Bubble just open up and decentralize um, who gets to build, um, you know, software. So um, absolutely powerful um, in many ways. And I actually think a lot of those revolutions usually happen through outsiders, actually, because you have much more, more of them. And so that's, you know, like outsiders adopting products that eventually become the product insiders use because the just the user base is so much bigger. Definitely. Um, and another thing that I actually talked about yesterday was Bubble and tools like Bubble extend your runway, right? It gives you more time to do more things um, versus traditionally you'd be limited with working with a traditional software agency, which in parentheses comment, I do think also software agencies are going to use tools like Bubble to build, like we see now, yeah. like uh, zero, um, zero code and, and others uh, doing that. So uh, cool. So, um, you know, what keeps you up at night knowing that uh, you're on the verge of, you know, changing software in the world? Um, what are some things that you think about um, and that, you know, you want to solve for uh, going forward? I mean, personally, the biggest thing that keeps me up at night is just trying to deliver on our promise to our customers, right? Because Bubble is a super complicated technical product. Um, you know, we're constantly sort of by definition pushing the limits of um, technology because we're trying to solve the same set of problems that you'd solve with the traditional engineering team. But then we're trying to solve it in a automated behind the scenes way that doesn't require the person using it to actually have that knowledge. Um, so, you know, that, that means we have to deal with every single problem that traditional engineering deals with, but we have to do it, you know, on difficulty level 10. Um, so for me, it's really about like, can we like honor this promise to our customers that they will get like, you know, they use bubble and it'll be as good as using code. Um, and, you know, I think we've made an incredible amount of progress for, uh, you know, from when we started to today, but um, every day it's like a new set of challenges. So, so I think that's, that's my personal, like, you know, thing that where my mental energy goes. Yeah. I mean, I have pretty much the same, uh, given the way we split our responsibilities today, which is uh, new. I mean, in the early days were not necessarily like this. What keeps me up at night is a lot, you know, how can we make the product, uh, easier for people to learn, uh, and how much we can extend the reach and evangelize a little bit better. Uh, it's still, you know, no, no, no code is hot on Twitter, but uh, the truth is it's still pretty small, honestly. Like a lot of people don't necessarily know, like if you're not like following people on Twitter, you don't know what no code is uh, yet. And I think there is a huge uh, need for something for what we do to get uh, more widespread and not just bubble, actually like all those creation tools need to be, you know, spread much more. Um, and it's hard. I mean, it's uh, evangelizing is a difficult uh, task, uh, which uh, is very much, you know, what I'm, what, not, not worries me because it's really exciting, but uh, takes a lot of attention and love and work. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think the one good thing is that once someone, right, there's that network effect, <laughs> knows about no code, they tell everyone, uh, you know, their, their network and is getting no code and tools like Bubble, um, you know, in, in more networks and in more conversations, which is, of course, um, Difficult, but I, I think the boot camps are very powerful um, and uh, they're able to 
arm people with the tools to be able to build in bubble and, you know, give them awareness of, um, other tools as well. So, um, yeah, one person at a time. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> um, so, um, I know you briefly mentioned you built the, your, uh, um, bubble, uh, in bubble, right? So the actual, um, front end website, um, what did you, what do you, what do you use bubble internally for? Um, you know, what, what, how is, um, you know, bubble the platform being used? Um, what apps do you, um, does a team use that's built in bubble? Yeah. So, um, we have this app called internal literally. Um, <laughs> and it's kind of like our project management hub. So it started as kind of a knockoff of Jira and sort of evolved into like a very general purpose, anything we need to like track as a team manage, et cetera. Um, so that's pretty core to like our workflow. Like, um, you know, when, when a user reports a bug to us, it gets written up in internal, it gets assigned to an engineer and it sort of tracks like the, the entire um, life cycle of that. So that, that's one of our uh, bigger apps. Um, I think we, and ML can speak to this more, but we've been using Bubble a lot on the uh, marketing side as well. Yeah, I mean, in this case, it's not a different app. I mean, that's the main app we're using, uh, like people interact with. Uh, we call it internally, you know, we have a name for it, but it's basically bubble.io. Um, and so here, where we're using it is when we want to launch a new thing, uh, we can launch it very quickly. So for instance, a bootcamp app where people could buy bootcamps, also invoicing system and everything, literally took probably a day or something to build. Um, we're working on like a bigger redesign on our homepage right now. And as soon as it's done, you're going to build like a, probably an instructor portal. So, you know, to ease all the process of like, you know, uploading the videos and stuff like that. That's the kind of things where we use Bubble, where I can't say it's a competitive advantage because anyone can use it, you know, like, please. <laughs> but, uh, but we do use it though uh, all the time. And that enables us to launch marketing or product initiatives that try to help on the growth side very, very quickly. Cool. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of just, just, just to, go back to the internal app we're using. I mean, kind of our fundamental philosophy is that if it is easy enough to build a product yourself, you're going to be better off than using one of those generic SaaS product that covers 80% of the need, but the 20% that they're not covering are going to be uh, an issue for your team. Uh, and it's all about making the building process easy enough. In, in some ways, we, like, there is a school of thoughts. It's just, you know, there should be a SaaS product for everything. What we think instead is that just build your own because it's easy enough and it's going to do exactly where you want to do. And as soon as something is blocking you, you can just tweak it uh, yourself or someone on the team and, um, and build your own thing. Um, I mean, that's, you know, um, very core to why we're doing this, actually. We're not just doing this for people to start companies. We're building these companies so that this product so that people can build, solve their own problems themselves with technology. That's actually, uh, you know, I have a, a good example of that. I have a client who's in Texas and he has a construction company and we build a CRM in bubble for his construction company. And he's a small, you know, small business owner. Um, they're using bubble to manage their, their business. So their office staff uses, um, you know, the app we built and as well as their, you know, the construction sales team. So Absolutely. Uh, you know, I know the focus is usually around MVPs and founders, but um, this also gives small business owners the ability to create custom software where they wouldn't have been able to in the past. 
mainly because of expense and complexity. Um, and they're not blind to making changes themselves. Um, and so, um, absolutely. So, um, just to give you an example that that is happening. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, we're, we're actually very excited about that kind of thing. Like we, we've been focusing on founders and want to continue on focusing on founders for now, because I think founders like push the state of the art, right? Like if you can use it to build your primary like web product that holds it to a really high standard and forces us to build a really flexible, powerful product that can do everything. But I think it's really cool when people then turn it to like, you know, more modest internal projects, because I think that that really is empowering for a lot of people. For sure. And I also personally, you know, uh, as a bubble developer, I also keep in mind that mission of empowering people. And so I always make it a point to be like, this is how you could change this yourself. So there's always a, you know, a lesson as part of like each showcase uh, where this is how you can do it. So that's really, you know, important for me personally to just keep in mind what the goal is, right, um, of empowering people to do this themselves. Um, cool. So, um, um, so question um, I hear about, um, and I'm also personally curious, so what are you working on to improve speed and performance? Um, is there any specific projects that, um, you are all working on to make bubble uh even faster yeah so um our focus on the performance front has been sort of scaling out our infrastructure making it easier to like just like throw in extra servers to like increase our overall speed um so we actually pushed something um a few weeks ago and have noticed like some real like user feedback that stuff has gotten noticeably faster um but there's also a lot more work we can do on that front too. So we're working on doing a similar thing on our database side. Um, we're working on a little project right now to parallelize some of the larger um, like list modification operations, like running like, you know, a change list of thing actions where we should be seeing that get significantly faster over the next uh, couple weeks. Um, and then, um, just working it throughout the 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 core engine and and tweaking stuff so we kind of see this as probably um an area we're going to keep investing in probably for the next year um sort of like our big themes this year our performance reliability uh an overhaul of the editor's design and working on like our responsive design engine those are like our big like four guiding like product principles right now. So, and each one of those breaks into like lots of like smaller projects and smaller releases and, you know, a, a win here and a win there. Cool. Um, I actually have seen, um, it's so funny you said that because I have seen in the past few weeks, um, some improvement. So I'm, I'm glad that I'm getting confirmation from you. Uh, yeah. On that. yeah, it's, it's, um, it's something that I think it will even power more apps. And of course, you know, I'm sure you've seen um, some exponential growth recently. So there's a, a lot of, um, you know, different parts that you're running on, on bubble. So um, I'm sure that is, you know, there's a complexity behind it, but excited that um, that's, you know, the general theme for this year. And then you mentioned responsive. Um, do you mind elaborating? Uh, um, I know this, their responsive tab. Is there anything that users can expect that will change or that's still like TBD? Yeah, so um, 
I can't give too much details right now because we're still um, very much in the design, what should this look like phase, but we're, we're pretty aware that like the paradigm that the responsive tab uses is just very unintuitive for new users. Like you can learn it. And once you do learn it, you can, you can do a lot of stuff. You can basically make pretty much most layouts that you can, that you would want to make, but you kind of have to think sideways a little bit. Um, and we see that as a big barrier to new users. And we have um, a series of ideas around changing that so that um, it works. Uh, you, you have the same level of power, so you can still create the same like variety of layouts. Like we don't want to switch to a paradigm where it's like a rigid, like you stick blocks in and it automatically like resizes them for you, like where we have no plans to go in that direction. Um, but we do think the set of tools we can give users to express how a page should flow um, can get a lot easier. Like we would actually like to eliminate the responsive tab, have the main editor tab, um, have those like, you know, stretch, squeeze things and basically just do it in one place. Um, and then like change some of the, the ways you like specify, like instead of like the like center justify, left justify, right justify mm -hmm. thing, like replace that with like, control over like how edges work and like, you know, what things are stretchable, what things are like fixed. Um, so we're, we're at the stage right now where we're designing what that looks like and like what the path from what we have today to, to that is. Um, so it's, so don't hold your breath. It's not going to come out like, you know, any, anytime soon, but we're hoping by the end of the year that we could actually launch something here. I'm excited to see. Um, and so other than responsiveness and performance, are there any other big features that are coming out next? Anything you're super excited about? I know personally that performance and responsive are like one of the most exciting things. So I'm, I'm sure this may be a hard question to ask, but is there anything else that um, uh, you're excited about uh, that you'd want to share? Yeah, yeah, I can, um, I can, I can go for it. Yeah, uh, well, I don't know if we have the same answer. We'll see. Um, <laughs> this will be a good test. <laughs> we, we, we're working on like a full redesign of the editor, uh, which is not really going to add features at first, but should actually make the experience much more enjoyable um, and more in line, uh, you know, more in line with like modern tools. Like we haven't put as much UI uh, love uh, over the last few years. I mean, I don't know how long you've been a Bubble user actually, but it was actually a pretty similar UI like back in like 2016, 2017. Uh, and so this is something that should ease learning curve by quite a bit. So we're we going to push that. And at the same time, we're, we're currently having like a pretty strong effort on like education. Uh, so uh, education as like self-soft content. So we're going to release like a bubble academy trying to really create like a learning experience that is much, much easier for people to get in. At the end of the day, there will always be learning with bubble. Like it's, it's, we never tell people in five minutes you can get something like, uh, like a full app built. It's just not true. And by the way, people that say that means that you can customize it. Like yeah. if you want customization, you have to learn how to use a tool. But I think we can do a lot of things. So it's not really a feature, but you know, a full editor redesign is something like that is really product centric that, um, that we're going to spend quite some time on. Uh, and we're spending a, quite, a, some, uh, quite some time on uh, right now. It's been a long project. Josh, you wanted to add something else, I guess? Probably more. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was going to say, so, so in addition to like the sort of big thematic things we do, we also try and like, occasionally like push out like smaller things uh, just to you know can keep like a trajectory of continuous improvement on like the details um so one smallest feature that i'm kind of excited about personally that we've been asked about like for 
for ages now. Um, and I think we kind of have the pieces in place that we can finally uh, build it. So we're probably going to work on this sometime in the next couple months is um, our URL structure. So uh, like being able to let users customize basically what the, um, what the text that identifies like a specific copy of a page is. That's um, huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a, a small thing, but like it has a lot of downstream impact. It makes your URLs look better. It makes, you know, there might be some SEO benefits. Like it's like one of these like, you know, little details that actually would be pretty fun to like have uh, working. Yeah, so funny. Just the other day, I saw a post um, from somebody about that. And I think one of uh, at the time was like get path or something was was built to help uh, mitigate that or super internal term. Um, but a question around that, will there be subcategories um, with that change? Mm, um, or else? So we, we haven't looked into subcategory. That's a good question. Um, the, 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 this is a little less ambitious. We're just really replacing the like, you know, the, the long ID yeah. for a thing with like a, a shorter descriptor or a more human readable descriptor. Cool. So basically um, removing that ID at the end and just keeping the readable URL name. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. That's exciting. I'm like super pumped about that because I was just looking into that this week. So, um, mm -hmm. yay. <laughs> um, yeah. Those are all sounds super exciting. And it was cool that you and Emmanuel had two different ones. <laughs> um, yeah. So last question before we end, um, what are your favorite success stories? Um, what are some new apps you're really uh, proud of and excited that Bubble, um, that they were built in Bubble? <laughs> Yeah, th this is always a hard question because there's so many apps out there. Um, like in everyday, like I'm learning about new apps. Like I don't feel like like if you if you asked me like you know three or four years ago, I could have told you like everyone who's like kind of like doing cool exciting stuff on our platform. Um, but these days, like actually, like I'm constantly being surprised by stuff. Like, like oh wow, this is on us. Like I, I didn't even know that. <laughs> You're like um, have to check the code. I <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, yeah, actually, <laughs> I, I do that sometimes. Like, is this a bubble app? Oh yes, yes, it is. Um, I, I, I think I was to, I was about to talk about Give Local, which could be. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, actually, uh, I, I was going to say something similar. So go ahead with that yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he's, he's a very long time user, actually, Brent Summer. Like, uh, I think I met him in San Francisco when we, in 2014 or 2013, like super early on. And during COVID, you know, he built like a platform to uh, basically enable uh, individuals to buy some gift cards to restaurants. So basically, a way to give cash to restaurants as they were hit like the worst because of the confinement. Um, and then, uh, so he was basically building the full platform and bubble. Um, and what is cool about this story is two things. The first thing is that I think he built it in about like 24 hours or something. So super early. I mean, it was probably one of the earliest mover in that new thing, which was, you know, how can we build like COVID related apps to uh, help with the situation? Um, and then he actually got national attention and ended up being like uh, partnering slash acquired by USA Today uh, that gave like a national uh, exposure to the app and it's still running today. Uh, so that that is a very cool story that shows you know how fast you can go with a no code tool uh, because I, if they were to build that uh, by by code but with code I mean first of all much less people would be able to do it and it would actually take more time. Yeah, um, 
there was uh, anything else that you'd want to add, Josh, um, as far as your, um, I know it's like now hard because since you have so many apps, you don't want to pick favorite, you know, right, like, right. Parent, like, oh wait, I, everyone's great, you know, so. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I was going to say sort of something similar to Emmanuel, like the, the wave of like apps, um, both in response to like COVID and the Black Lives Matter movement, where people have just been able to like respond to current events um, with like, just like a, hey, I'm going to create something for this moment. Like that's been really cool to see because um, I think like... That, that's that's a sign that what we're doing works that like you can create something on that kind of like short t turnaround time of like you know days or weeks to like respond to something happening in the world right now um and we've seen a bunch of a, a bunch of apps related to sort of the current moment in, in various ways and trying to help in various ways and i think that's really good like that kind of experimentation and like even like the ones that like don't take off like the ones where someone like tried something it turns out it actually wasn't that helpful like i think it's that kind of like throwing stuff at a wall where like a bunch of different people in our community can like try to solve a problem that's how you get the like outlier successes where someone actually does make a huge difference so i think that's really the difference between like no code and code right where code like you know, maybe a couple of teams will build something, no code, you know, everyone can like try their own solution to a problem. And then the, the, the best ones, the ones that have the most impact sort of win. I love that. Um, yeah, I, um, I mentioned that to, to students all the time that if this particular thing that you're working on um, doesn't work, the awesome thing is now you have the tools to continue to iterate on something else. Um, and so that is one of the most powerful things for sure. Um, anything else that, Emmanuel, you'd like to add um, as we end our uh, podcast interview? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, this is a final, a final finale of the first season of the podcast. So thank you very much for doing that. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually very glad we did this. It was a different way, you know, to share some user stories like what's really important like bubble is all about its users honestly like if we didn't have users we wouldn't be much uh and showcasing what they do uh and we tried uh in this, i think eight episodes or something to have like very di different uh, different stories to share so that you know people can see all what you can do with bubble one of the challenges that we have sometimes is people ask us what can you do on bubble and well uh, anything yeah. And yeah. so it's actually not, people are like, well, what, what do you mean with that? Like anything, like people sometimes are more used to be, okay, e-commerce, marketplace and stuff like this. And so our approach to answering that question is by, you know, sh showcasing our users. Uh, and so I'm, I'm very glad we did that with this podcast. And uh, um, I mean, I'm very looking forward for the next uh, few months, actually. Like, you know, going from like the two people, two person team that we were like in 2017 to like 30 people today, you know, uh, structuring the company and everything like took a lot of work uh, to get there but now I feel like we're in a very good place to start actually accelerating which is really really exciting and I hope uh, that we lead to like very visible things to our users. I'm excited to see it. Um, Josh anything else like you you'd like to end with for the last um, uh, season for the season I guess? <laughs> yeah um, I just want to say something pretty similar to Emmanuel like um, and listeners to this podcast may already know about this, but if you haven't, um, I really urge you to check out our uh, app of the day series that we're running on our blog. 
because um, that's like that's one of the things I'm I'm really glad we're doing. Like actually, just like systematically going through and telling the stories of as many users as we can. Um, just trying to like get them out there because the stories are amazing. Um, so you know, like it's one thing to sort of like talk in abstract terms about like the power of no code and like what it can do and why it's transformative. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it comes down to individual stories. So, you know, we're, we're trying to do our best to, you know, collect them and, and get them out there. So I, I really urge people to check that series out if they haven't already. Yeah. I've been super um, loving that. I was actually going to say that as well. Um, just been seeing some cool accent apps and I've been reaching out to the people who built them and chatting up. I'm like, wait, how did you do that? How did you do that? So also for, for people like me, uh, just to get ideas, it, it's been really helpful. So, um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for, uh, letting me be the guest host and interview you guys. It was super fun. Um, and yeah, thank you. I'm Marielle signing off and thank you, Josh and Emmanuel. And have yeah, a good thank you. Have a good weekend. It's Friday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank right. you very much for doing this. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Bubble. And be sure to tag us when you launch your next no-code hustle. There's nothing we love more than seeing you tear down the barrier between real problems and tech-enabled solutions. All without code. <laughs>